you may be around the world and thank you for joining us once again on truth to you.org that's truth number two letter you.org it's season two of torah pills i'm jono and joining me in the virtual truth to you studio all the way from ireland is jason of spiritualbabies.net g'day mate how's it going we are starting the book of numbers how cool is that we are we're in the book of, but even before we get there you know uh, last week's Torah portion. Now there were two, and you and I did Bechuk Kotai, and mm. we walked we walked away from that scratching our heads a little bit, didn't we? Yeah, we did. The, the, we were actually quite confident and happy until we got to the last part, which totally kicked us in the butt. It, it really, really did. And that was chapter twenty-seven, verse. If I remember correctly, I think it was verse twenty-nine and on, which said. Uh, no person under the van who may become doomed to destruction among men shall be redeemed, but shall surely be put to death. And uh, we we weren't we just weren't happy with our conclusions. I think we we uh, what did we speculate in regards to uh, Yifta's daughter? We speculated in regards to say uh, Agag when when Samuel hacked him to pieces and uh, things like that. But it was Mitch who incidentally is going on the tour with his lovely wife. Mitch Orlovsky came to the rescue. And he said, I want to try it to uh, clear up something in the parasha. He said, uh, you can point to someone and say, I want to give his value to the temple, depending on age, etc. That value is set and have to be redeemed. However, if I point to a man and it turns out that he was sentenced to death by a court, his value cannot be redeemed because a dead man has no value. Now, you also spoke to uh, Rabbi Joshua Neely about this. Does that concur with what he was saying? It kind of does, only from a different perspective. So you might have a person where he's been caught doing something really bad and he's going to get stoned. And so he thinks to himself, you know what, I'll dedicate myself to the temple, I'll dedicate myself to the priests, then I'll work for them for the rest of my life, and I'll kind of get off, right? Uh, that's that's I'm gonna be, I'm going to become a special offering, and uh, you offer your value to the... But it says that if you do that, um, if you're already doomed, then you can't do that. No amount of money can buy you back. From, from it's not going to give you a get out of jail free. It says kind of along the same lines. Yeah. Thank you to Rabbi Joshua Neely. Thank you to uh, to Mitch. Looking forward to seeing you, Mitch, and your lovely wife on the tour on, in in November when we go to Israel. And there are still what is there? What six seats left? I think. I think there's six seats left on the bus, people. So if you would like to come with us, uh, we would love to have you. And you can uh, find details on truthtoyou.org. Just follow the links. Joining us from Indonesia is the author of Let's Get Biblical: Why Doesn't Judaism Accept the Christian Messiah? Volumes one and two you can get a copy from his website outreachjudaism.org that's outreachjudaism.org welcome back to the program rabbi tobia singer oh it's a pleasure to be here with me <laughs> isn't it always <laughs> a big joy big privilege for <laughs> someone like you to have me on well it, it would have been a great privilege too last week but you were gallivanting around the jungles of who knows where actually you were you were in a conference weren't you and, and it went very well give us, just quickly give us the details on that i you know if i if i explain well, we had a room filled with people who came from different faiths, many of them of Jewish descent. Some of them were not sure about their descent. And we spent two days from morning till evening, and I'll be releasing the videos of these uh, of these seminars. And so I, I'm very grateful to all the students I had. They asked the most brilliant questions, and it, it gave me the opportunity to engage. And I, I don't think a single person who was there will ever be the same. Many of them repented and came to accept the God of Israel and the yoke of heaven and fell in love with Hashem in a brand new way. And I'm just very grateful to them that I could 
that I can be a part of that. Yeah. What a wonderful thing. So, that, so there's going to be footage uh, of that coming up oh, on yeah. Facebook oh, very yeah. soon on, on oh, YouTube. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look forward to seeing that and a special shout out to everybody listening in Indonesia. I know there's a lot of you guys, so uh, welcome and thank you for listening. Oh, yeah. So, and before we continue in Bar Midbar, if I may, I'd like to kick off by reading from, like going way back into the beginning of Exodus, because from verse uh, 7 of chapter 1, it does say, but the children of Israel were fruitful and, and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. And there arose a, a new king over Egypt who didn't know Joseph, and he said to the people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and, and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and it happen in the event of war that they join our enemies and fight against us. And uh, so go up and go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them and so on and so forth. It says in verse 12, but uh, the more they afflicted uh, them, the more they multiplied and grew, is what it says. Now, we find ourselves in the book of Bamid, but we uh, numbers in the English. And, uh, and it's called numbers because of the incredible amount of math, but also the, the amazing amount of uh, uh, people that we have in the tribes of Israel. And it's been a, uh, a controversial topic, hasn't it? It's not, uh, not everybody accepts these numbers, Tobia. Well, uh, here's, uh, we, we have a limited amount of time, so I want to just highlight one anomaly here. And if you sure. want to discuss another, it's fine. Uh, the tribe of Levi, as it turns out, were not in, involved in the slavery itself. They were, Moses was in the house of Pharaoh, and the tribe of Levi was not in the was not enslaved in Egypt. We talked about this before. What is very striking is the size of the tribe of Levi. That's what I'd like you to focus on. You'll well, know, yeah. yeah. What you'll notice is that the size of Judah. These are tribes with vast numbers. Why do they have such fantastic growth, going from seventy people and in two hundred and ten years to have millions of people? We're only counting here if only for the tribe of only only for the twelve tribes. We're counting here only those of military age from twenty to sixty. There's going to be another count for Levi separately, but we're going to see that Yehuda's huge in size. Levi was not enslaved in Egypt. As such, they were not given the blessing of having this tremendous amount of children. And we see the result of the in the disparity of the count that we're going to find here in the book of Numbers. Levi is going to be tiny in size because they didn't have the blessing of multiple children. They didn't need so it. So the total, yeah, yeah, and the total uh, besides Levi is uh, 603,550. Uh, and that is a, a, a men of, of five, can I say, of fighting age? Is that what it, what it was? 20 yes. years and older. Yes. And, uh, and it does seem like an incredibly huge, uh, possibly some say inflated figure. Uh, what you're referring to, uh, Levy had a, a, a total, I'm just flicking forward now, a total of 22,000 that were one month old right, and above. Right. So we're talking about, it means we could, every, it's only a guess of how many Jews there were total outside of Levy. But you couldn't easily two, three million if you have, mm. right? If you have twenty to sixty that are six hundred three thousand five hundred and fifty, how much is how many women were there? How many people younger than twenty? How many people older than sixty? The numbers are astounding. It'd be two, three million. Levi is unique because Levi is given a special blessing that that tribe alone is is counted from one month, no matter how old they were. There's actually two 
countings of Levi, because one is how many of them can actually work in the sanctuary. But Levi is given, because of a series of events, they were given the blessing that was originally given to the firstborn. We covered that in the previous show. So Levi is an exceedingly tiny tribe, very, very small. And because they didn't enjoy the um, the blessing of multiple children of these fantastically exploding families. So therefore, they had a normal growth, and their normal growth would produce a much more moderate uh, normative number here in the book mm. of Numbers. The Bible- now, when you say exploding, when you say exploding, when we go to verse 43, now these verses in between we have to focus on, we, we finding, we're finding ourselves in Numbers chapter 3 here, but in verse 43 it says, all the firstborn males, according to the number of uh, names from a month, uh, old and above, uh, and this is of the of the whole of Israel, were numbered uh, 22,273. Now, that's 273 more than uh, the males of the of the tribe of Levi. But what that does mean is that, uh, now these are the firstborn, so what that does mean is that uh, the, 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 the mothers of the other tribes had an enormous amount of children, right? Which is exactly commensurate with the blessing it matches perfectly and notice the torah doesn't point it out that means we can we're able to put these together you know the torah is not try, there's no point trying to be made here of what i've just said that means we can go back walk this backwards and figure it out but you, you notice the torah is not in any way trying to make a point of this you see the tribes that given blessing we we see it very clearly that there was something miraculous going on and we see that the torah is not trying to make a deal of this here because it is not relevant here we just know it we could see it it is obvious that the disparity in numbers is staggering and therefore we could see that the tribe of levi was not given the blessing of miraculous great growth of families Mm-hmm. Jason, we just jumped over three chapters. Is it, what would you like to highlight, my friend? Anything in chapter one? Let's just quickly go through there. Now, we are dealing with a whole lot of numbers. People can read all of this, uh, but let's let's highlight uh, things that need to be highlighted. What what stands out for you? There's, there's just a couple of things. Um, it's worth noting, first of all, that um, polls, you, know, you, may, you might find that in your text, P-O-L-L-S, um, in the UK a few years ago, Margaret Fetcher famously um, passed a bill for a poll tax. Um, then she retired, and she she passed this big bag of poop over to a guy called John Major, whose first job was to instigate this poll tax. And there were riots and arrests, and everyone hated it. Um, but the in this in this sense, it literally means skull or head money. So you know when you do a head count. Um, oh right, that's a head count. Okay. Right. So when we read polls, it's literally um, a head count, and um, that's. Um, referring to how much money any time is up by um, the amount of heads. Um, th- what also um, is interesting here is that it says, um, take uh, you the sum of all the congregation um, of the children of Israel. But it says, um, by their families, by their father's houses, according to the number of names every male. So is, I want to ask Tovia, is that two different counts? Is that the, the uh, addition of two different counts? Or are they um, breaking it down? Uh, ah. So the word su'u doesn't really mean count. Uh, it's The word su'u, it means to raise up. Um, su'u isrosh means kol adas Israel. This lens fits very well into coming out of the trauma of Leviticus 26 again. Su'u means raise up the head, meaning raise someone's face up. 
of the whole children of Israel. That means each of you really do count. But the suv means to raise up. Therefore, if someone's head is down, only then could it be raised up. The word misbar means a number. It's a different word completely. And then we have another word that's used, uh, uh which really means... It, it, well, it means an, uh, to also another noun for counting, but just like in the English language, the word count has two meanings, meaning a count means you can count numerically, but, this, but the word count in English has a second meaning, and that is you really count. That's very similar to what's going on here in this text, and that is that you really count is happening here. Let's raise up your head. You really are a part of the nation. Each one of you has access to Torah, which is given in Sinai. Uh, There isn't an accident that God said to Moses in the desert of Sinai, why is this midbar here that where this important count is taking place? Why there's so many counts happening? You know, there's going to actually be three different countings of the Jewish people in the wilderness. We've encountered one. There's going to be one more at the end of at the end of their mm-hmm. trek. Actually, the Jewish people throughout Tanakh counted nine times. Uh, God is counting them constantly. But it's now what. While you mentioned that, though, Tobia, there was one incident uh, where that was executed by David, uh, for which he got into a lot of trouble. Yeah, and that you'll find in First Chronicles twenty-one or in Second Samuel yeah. twenty-four. He got in trouble, but really the Jews did because we see that God had seduced uh, David to count them in an incorrect fashion. It wasn't the census itself that was the problem; it was the method used to take the census. Right. And Okay. That it, the, that's what was wrong. The, the census was a good thing. The problem was that he took a census in a way, he used a method that would cause a plague. And that's what ha- that was the result. And the consequences were just shatters us all when we read these passages. So it was a methodology. It wasn't the census itself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just a point, um, the, the passage of Bamidbar opens up it's actually, it's called, to the Jews, it's generally called the book of Bamidbar, which means in the wilderness. The term numbers actually comes from the Vulgate. Um, it comes from the Latin, calling it numbers. And uh, the word is, the, the essential feature of this book is wilderness. This is happening in the wilderness. And the question is, why the emphasis on the wilderness? It seems, again, uh, completely vestigial. Now, our sages give us two understandings which uh, which are, are critical. Number one, the midbar in a wilderness is, is a place where uh, is accessible to anyone. That means a, a desert is a place that is no man's land. Anybody can have access to it. Anyone can go there. No one can really own wilderness because it's untamable. You can't survive there. So number one, it's Torah is accessible to anyone. And it is true that it may require a scholar to understand Daniel 7. It may, well, you, you need to have 
a lot of information from Zechariah to really assemble it together, or else it's going to be difficult to understand. But one of the beautiful things is that when I taught my children Genesis, even as little kids, as three-year-olds and four-year-olds, and you tell them the story of, of Abraham, and you tell them the story of, uh, of what occurred to uh, Noah, they get it on a very profound level. The Torah is accessible to anyone. The other part of the, our sages tell us something very strange, and that is that just like a midbar is a place that no one can own, no one can tame, it's a place that's hefker. Hefker means it has no ownership, that a person, that it's free of anything. So a person has to, in order to study Torah, has to be free of everything, has to make himself like a wilderness. What what does that mean? Uh, well, what what it means is that very often people approach the Bible and want to use it as a tool to prove what they already believe. They come with a, a belief system that they like, that they crave, that they cherish. They believe this and that. And then they come to the Bible trying to find any verse, any passage to sustain and bolster what they already believe. That is not a correct approach to Scripture. Uh, the proper, within what they're doing essentially is they're using the Bible as a, a, not to find truth, but to support something they already believe. They're not coming saying, look, I'm willing to accept wherever this Bible takes me. Now, if you come with the doctrine of the Trinity, you already believe it, and say, well, can I find a verse that could be construed to support mm -hmm. a... Com well, yeah, you, you could do that, but then you are not really receiving the Torah. You have to approach the Torah as a wilderness. That means you yourself have to surrender completely and say, you know what? I'm willing to accept wherever this Torah gets me, and I'm not going to try to prove that a, a a a the outcome of a a a a conference at in Nicaea convened by Constantine is going to guide me in how I'm going to learn scripture. I have mm -hmm. to say, you know what? It's open. I am emptying myself, flushing out my preconceived notions, and I'm going to be a servant and follow the Bible with coming as my mind is like a wilderness. It's open to accept the Torah in how it's presented to me. Beautiful. Jason? Firstly, I to, to kind of piggyback where Tavi was going, because it echoes a little bit my point here, it's interesting that um, we have this massive group of people that have been pulled out of uh, Egypt out of, um, e even though they were, in, they were indentured and they were working, they did have a permanent residence, they had food, um, they, they had some security of, you know, um, their, 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 they were, their life was, um, their, their loins, if you like, were going to be prolonged because of their, uh, that, you know, that it, Egypt wanted to keep this workforce, um, and they were taken uh, out into the desert. And then we've got this kind of ragtag band of different ages and different abilities and different nations, uh, and, and, uh, some of them were fit for work, some of them were unfit for work, some of them were kids, some of them were old, they were cripples. Uh, God organizes them, and uh, he uh, gives everyone a place and everyone a purpose and turns mm. this mix into something that's organized. And we often get this idea that God's a bit more chaos. You know, he's Big Bang. He's um, um, There's not much order to it. He's everything at once, and so it, you know, it's a bit of a, a mix. We can't really put him in a box, but uh, we see in through this whole uh, this whole Torah portion, 
God organizing people, making them into we see arrangements, a, right? And He we turns them into yeah. a into a valid unit, into a fighting unit, into a social unit. Into everyone has a place, everyone has a part to play, um, and I think that's worth mentioning that. Um, for many of us that come from a different tradition that weren't brought up Jewish or um, weren't brought up with um, this kind of this kind of monotheistic look um, at the at the Tanakh as the the source of our um, relationship, um, we we too have to come out of a place where we are comfortable, and it might not be a perfect place for us. We might live, you know, because the my tradition certainly instilled quite a lot of fear to keep you where they wanted you, and uh, you you you, but you mm. take that fear because you're comfortable, and mm. you can go along to your church every every Sunday and have a uh, a decent time and feel good about yourself when you leave. Um, you've done your bit for the week, and uh, now you're done. Um, but you do you kind of you do have to leave that security. You have to go out into the wilderness and uh, strip off all of that protection, strip off that safe place, um, and 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 as Toby said, start from um, a, a zero foundation. So that's the first thing. The second thing is really easy, um, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to skip some um, passages here because um, the next few verses, the next dozen or so verses, uh, are names. And um, it's really awesome for you to sit down and do word studies. So we're not going to do that for you because that would be um, a we'll shame. Be for a number of hours. Right, <laughs> yeah. Um, but they're beautiful. And the Hebrew names, they all have a meaning. Um, some of them have more than one meaning, depending on who you ask. But it's a really awesome study. I went through them last night and I got a lot from them. You know, so I've had a few private messages. You sh- your name shouldn't be Jason. It's Greek. You need to get a Hebrew name. <laughs> and um, while I've no intention of getting a Hebrew name, certainly not yet. Um, yeah, you know, I'm kind of curious about what I might go for if I do change. And there are some I, I like just. I'm yeah. going to make a suggestion. My mm-hmm. favorite in this whole passage is mushy. <laughs> Chapter three, verse twenty. If you're going to have a Hebrew name, it should be mushy. Uh, Tavia, can I get a second opinion on that? <laughs> I was thinking, what? Mushy. <laughs> mushy. That, that's good. That works. What is it in Hebrew? No, no, chapter wh- 3, verse 20. What? Wait, let me just here just open up chapter 3. I, I was chapter looking three, at a 20. different passage as you were doing that. Uh, chapter 3, verse 20. Okay, let's yeah. let's go there. So I just I want everyone to, to have a look, and oh, wow. if Jason yeah, should change his name. I won't <laughs> Ubnei, one second here. Ubnei Moroli l'mishpechaisam machli umushi. Yes. Mushi. Yes. Ah, brilliant. Yeah. Excellent name. So, if Jason changes his name to a Hebrew name, I vote it should be Mushi. Now, just one other point that, because I mean, this is essential, is, is just to erase, uh, help with a little confusion. We're reading the Bible, now reading Numbers chapter 1, but we mm-hmm. have the advantage that we actually read the whole Torah, uh, or we're familiar with many events in the Torah. You might wonder to yourself, well, why are they creating an army? Who are they fighting? As it turns out, they're not going to fight anybody. Why is there such an interest in a military, or it means organizing a army, of, a count of an army? Who, who are they fighting? Who are these people fighting? Well, remember, this is just to, just to train you how to think. Um, 
uh, Numbers chapter 13 and 14 hadn't happened yet, which means the story of the spies, which we're going to come to later on, with the where, where at the aftermath, this generation cannot enter the land of Israel, and therefore it only the descendants could enter the land of Israel. That hasn't happened yet. Therefore, had the event of the spies gone in a different direction, it would be this generation that would have entered the land of Israel and gone to war with the inhabitants in the land of Israel. So remember, we don't have yet chapter 13 and 14 of Numbers yet. Now, now speaking of uh, the military, uh, Tobia, we find that uh, in, this, in this Torah portion, the Levites are excused from serving in the military, and uh, they are charged specifically with basically carrying the, the furnishings and the, uh, the everything in regards to the tabernacle, right? Yeah, I mean, and look, incidentally, yes, that's correct, that the Levites are very small. The Torah says there, says, Aches Mate Levi, as it turns out, the tribe of Levi, Loisifkoid Esroisham, you do not count their heads, Loisiso, and don't raise them up. It's that same language, but very different. Now look look at verse 50. However, you Now, what's very strange here is the word there is the exact same word tifkod, hafkade, but it has a totally different meaning. There's something fantastic going on here. And it's saying, but you appoint. So the word we see there with your own eyes that the word count in 49, just take my word if you don't have the Hebrew for it, it's just mm. don't count their names. Now go to verse 50. However, you it's the exact same root. It's the exact same word. It's, it's, it's pay, pay is the root. So there you see the exact same word has a different meaning completely. Hafkate means, really doesn't mean to count, but it means to appoint. It means to be given a special role. And that's what every person who is in the count is given. You are assigned or appointed a special role. So Ma'ata mm. Hafkate you should in fact appoint the Levium. What is their role? Their role is to specifically serve in the tabernacle. Now look at the next words. Hema Yesu es Hamishkon. They will Yesu carry the Mishkon. Well, Yesu is the exact same word of the word count again. That these are not just accidents here. So what's happening is it's don't put them in the census in the way that first census, but in fact, because they have a different kind of pakad, a different kind of counting number, namely an appointing. You don't raise their heads because their job is to raise the tabernacle as they carry it with all of its kalim. So if you, if you don't have the Hebrew going on, so much is stripped out of the text and you see this going just 49 and 50 you see the exact same words used interchangeably of counting and of appointing of taking a census and of raising up it's exquisite mm-hmm. let me ask you something uh, because the math here is just a little bit uh, it's interesting and this goes back to where you began uh, in Numbers chapter 3, I'll just read it. It says, uh, all who were numbered of the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron numbered at the commandments of the Lord by their families, all the males from a month 
old and above, were 22,000. Then the Lord said to Moses, number all the firstborn males of the children of Israel from a month old and above and uh, take a number of their names and you shall take for the, uh, the Levites for me, I am the Lord, instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel and the livestock of the Levites instead of the firstborn among the livestock of the children of Israel. So Moses numbered all the firstborn among the children of Israel as the Lord commanded him, and all the the, the firstborn males according to the number of the names uh, from a month old and above of those who were numbered from them were 22,273. Now that's 273 more than the Levites that were counted. And what we find here, it says, uh, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel and the livestock of the Levites instead of their livestock. The Levites shall be mine. I am the Lord. And for the uh, redemption of the 273 of all the firstborn of the children of Israel, who are more than, uh, uh, than the number of the Levites, you shall take five shekels. For each one individually, you shall uh, take them in the currency of the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel of 20 geras. And you shall give the money which, uh, with which the excess number of them is redeemed to Aaron and his sons, So. Moses took the, the redemption money. We have redemption money of those who were uh, over and above, uh, those who were redeemed by the Levites from the firstborn uh, of, the, of the children of Israel. He took the money, 1,365 shekels. Now, that's five times 273. And there it is. Moses gave the redemption money to Aaron and his sons. Tobia. Yeah. So what you have is that the Levites were completely separate. Obviously, you have there the larger count is the count of those who were the firstborn were included in it. Okay, and so so it turns out that the the firstborn uh, outweigh the Levites by 273. There's not enough Levites to redeem the firstborn. Therefore, those that are counted over are are redeemed by five silver shekels, right? Mm, yeah. And I, I just uh, jump in, and it's worth mentioning that because if we go back over the last two Torah portions and we have a look at the, the number of the shekel for each person at the different stages through their lives, there's no amount for a baby under 30 days old. Right. And that's why um, they give you a specific amount, uh, amount in this, because um, you, you couldn't look back. You couldn't look it up. It doesn't exist. It would be so completely not germane to this Torah portion, but there are actually many, many laws uh, regarding a, uh, a baby who's less than 30. Their lives are in such extraordinary jeopardy. Will they make it to 30 days? Once the baby was 30 days old, so then it was considered to have a esmachta and a, a presumption that it was going to survive and live and grow up and so on. Therefore, they could be counted. There are many, many other laws, but it's not germane to this to this uh okay. to this thing so so one other thing that i find curious moving on in chapter four the lord chapter spoke to four. Moses. wow yeah okay go <laughs> are ahead. we going too far no we're go, going too go, go, go ahead go ahead i know so it says they're going to cut off your electricity city that's good <laughs> <laughs> take a census wow. of the sons of korah uh from among the children of levi by yes. the families by their father's house from 30 years old and above. Now, this is an anomaly, right? I mean, it's, 30 years... That's not an anomaly. That means when a person... The Torah recognizes, and it's in fact in Jewish law, that let's say when a person a boy becomes 13 or a girl becomes 12, so they become responsible for many laws, but not all laws. Because we're taught in the, by our sages that, in fact, a person is still developing. They don't have the full 
uh, understanding of consequences of what they do. For example, uh, if a person's 13 years old, so they're responsible to a regular court, but not from heaven. We know this today that we can now call this, we can look at the Torah and now say, wow, we actually know from the science of neurology that the frontal lobe is not developed fully until a person's really an adult and it's not developed as a teenager and teenagers tend to get themselves in an enormous amount of trouble because they don't fully grasp the consequences of their behavior this the talmud discusses this extensively and therefore it's actually just like i know folks who work in air, air control they work in the that you 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 can't really work on your own in air traffic control until you stood behind someone else uh, for i think five years you have to assist them until you can actually give them that kind of responsibility. Mm-hmm. A person could not work in the most sensitive areas of the temple, and we're going to see the consequences. The consequences are staggering if they even look. Even the children of Korach, who are the uh, um, Kahas, excuse me, who are given the most responsibility. There's a warning here. If they dare look at the Ark of the Covenant in the wrong way, they can die. So therefore, it's not here, it's not just enough for them. It's not like you take a 15-year-old and give them that kind of of, of responsibility. If someone, for example, dares lifts the Ark of the Covenant not by the poles, they'll die immediately. Immediately. It's like touching mm. the third rail of a train. So, and therefore, we are told here, there's, be very, very careful, and therefore, someone who's completely mature uh, from 30 years old, there's a very specific uh, time, and also not too old. You know that uh, a person, when they're a pilot flying a plane with 600, 500 people aboard uh, uh, an A380, they have to retire when they're 65, no matter how good they are, no matter how proficient they are. It's it's such a delicate operation that a person has to know with great precision exactly what to do, what they may not do. They have to be at the peak of their physical and mental strength, and that's, Mm -hmm. that's that... That that's the reason. That's that why, right. Okay. That's why they're given this very narrow aperture of because the Torah is going to outline. Now, I I, I just want to point out something that has kind of went over very quickly, and that is we see that the Torah does mention again the, here when talking about the children of Levi, discussing that that the that uh, excuse me the children of Aaron that there's again a mention that Aaron's oldest children died. We, we mm-hmm. kind of skipped over that. Why does it bring it up? Like, Why do you keep bringing up that they died? It was a tragedy. And remember what we said in Achremos. They said that they died without having children. That's mm-hmm. We actually see that here. It actually says they died without children. And remember what I said to you? The Torah, I said there's two kinds of doctors. One doctor says don't do something, right? And the mm-hmm. other doctor says don't do it. And by the way, there's this fellow who lives down the block from you. You remember Henry? He actually did that and he's dead Mm. so which doctor which advice are you likely to listen to more carefully obviously the doctor who gives you an example of someone who 
didn't listen to the advice, who, and, and in fact, they were dead as a result. So we've just passed that, and so the context is important. The Torah is warning you, you we are, we're going back to another, another program we've done together, and that is, you're building a house for God, a tabernacle or a temple. You are, the, the laws that govern these holy houses, which you're building for God, are not governed by the laws of thermodynamics. They're not governed by Newton's laws of gravity and so on and so forth. They have a whole different series of laws which you cannot apprehend. And they will follow these laws very carefully because if you don't, the consequences could be staggering. So yeah, so the, the, the tribe of Levi is counted differently in a whole variety of ways. Uh, but we also have two counts for them because Levi, in order to do the most sensitive work here, and we're told very clearly that you can die if you do this improperly, it's like a pilot. You can't fly a 747. Even if you come out, they first give you an, an embryo air little plane, and then you can graduate to the 747, the 777. Mm. So if you're going to handle the most sensitive work that's brought into view that we're introduced to in this portion, uh, you've got to be at the absolute peak of your mental and physical maturity. Now, the, the verse that you just uh, were alluding to, that's chapter 3, verse 4. Nadab and Abihu had died before the Lord when they offered profane fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So, yes. Eleazar and Itamar yes. uh, ministered as priests in the presence of Aaron, their father. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I think, Tobia, you're a descendant of Itamar. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have my, yeah, that's my genealogical line. And tragically, who had no children. I, I mentioned that when the Torah says the double language, it says after the death of Aaron's children and they died. Whenever you have that, there's no, there's nothing vestigial in the Bible. If you notice, you see how tight the, how, I'm going to use the word stingy, the Torah is with words that back then I told you as a commentary on Pasha's Achremos, that the double language is that they not only died, but they died childless. So it was a double death. It was very, very tragic. Here you mm. see a later uh, chapter that actually now can comment and it reflects exactly what mm. I told you. I, I can go on here because there's something, there's a lot of uh, extraneous language in chapter three. If you want me to do it, I will. Please. Sure. All right, so if you look at the language here, this, it, first of all, a, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, Ela told us Aaron and Moshe, these are the generations of the children of Aaron and Moshe, mm-hmm. Diber Hashem El Moshe Sinai, on the day that uh, God spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai. And then it actually doesn't give us the children of Moses. It actually only mentions the children of Aaron. That's what's a really strange anomaly. So what, what's happening over here? And then if you notice, there's also like this strange redundancy. Well, you already, these are the names of the children of Aaron. Well, do we really need that? Could you just like skip that and look at verse 3? Same thing. These are the children, mm. children of, like, I could have cut that all out. If I was an English teacher right. and you if said, an if I was, if you handed me an essay, okay, and I'm an English teacher, I'm going to take my red pencil and just be crossing all that out. <laughs> I'm going to be putting a big question mark. What are you telling me? So that's not going, what are you saying is that that's not going towards the word count, right? Yeah, that means what is going essay. on here? <laughs> now, now, another question is the very big question is, 
why is it saying that these are the sons of Aaron and Moses? I put a big question mark here if I was your teacher scoring this text and going, you never actually tell me the children of Moses here. It's not here. Like, so why is Moses introduced here? So this is, this is very deep, very heavy, but it's important that the people understand this. And that is, and, and what does it say on the day that the God gave the Torah? Then they were the children on that day when God gave the Torah at Mount Sinai. As it turns out, Nodav and Avihu were people who were very, very great. And they sought to be like Moses. They wanted to and volunteered to move in to the holy place, but they did it very quickly without the proper information. In portion in Leviticus 16, we're told later, this is how you have to enter the Holy of Holies. This is the kind of smoke you need to introduce in, and this smoke, this smoke or cloud that you bring in using incense is going to meet the cloud that God brings in, and those two clouds mm. have to touch. I encourage the listeners to dial back on that previous show mm. to understand that. So, the, the portion of Leviticus 16 starts off by saying that Nadav, after their death, and then it says, look, this is how not to die in the midst of all this. What, what really happened to Nadav and Aviyu? How much, how do they get into that kind of trouble? What happens, so I say just tell us that because Nadav and Avihu are called the children of Moses here, it teaches, so the Talmud says, it's very famous, that a, someone who teaches someone else Torah, they are accounted as though they're the parents. That a, a rabbi, a rabbi who teaches a, student, a disciple Torah, he is counted as though he is in fact their, he is in fact a parent. What happened with these two young men is they really sought to be just like Moses. They saw Moses encountering God at the highest possible level. And they voluntarily jumped in to be close to their father. And unfortunately, they, they did it in a way that was impetuous. And it got them killed because they did not do it as ordained by God. It's very intriguing that this is introduced here because there is a larger question is if a, a person's teacher becomes like your father, well, did, wasn't Moses the teacher of all the Jewish people? Why is it these kids are identified uniquely as Moses' children? It means if given what the Talmud tells us that a child is like, is a, a student is like a child, why is not even Avihu only Moses' children? The whole Jewish people are. What not even Avihu really sought to do is to be like their master completely, voluntarily. And that was their great, and it ultimately for them, it got them in trouble. If you look Look at the name Nadavavihu, we actually could see it in their name. The word Nadav has an actual meaning. The word Nadav means to volunteer. That's what the word Nadav means, to do something without being asked to do it. Vavihu, which means and his father. So mm-hmm. what we see here in the name, so what we can from the structure of what's going on here, we see what actually occurred. Nabanavihu sought to be exactly like Moses. Uncles, the Bible, we're told that uncles are considered very beloved by children. Children love their uncle. In fact, mm. so much so that the word for love, dod, anila dodi, dodi li, 
the word for love is also the exact same word as an uncle. Dode is an uncle, and dode is love. It's the exact same word. So what happened is they wanted to be exactly like their uncle, but they acted precipitously. They acted too quickly. And as a result, they were the children of Moses, but it got them in trouble because they did it voluntarily without thinking precipitously, and it got them killed. So that's what we have in view here, but you need to parse out that passage very, very carefully. Right. Mushy. <laughs> Oh man, I just wanted to mention it was we were in um, Numbers four. I don't know where we are now, but we were in um, Numbers four three, and um, there's a really interesting um, use of a word here that says, uh, "From thirty years old and up until they're fifty, they shall enter the service." But the service, if you took a literal translation of that, it's actually warfare. And yeah. I find it interesting that the the non Levites, really? yeah, the non Levites are organized into a um an army you know and those that that can't fight do behind that front line and we also have here um an army if you like that's working like a special elite force so mm-hmm. it's a terrible analogy but in in, uh, in Star Wars Darth Vader had his regular stormtroopers but he had also had these really cool imperial guards the red guys that stood outside with their big yeah, um, the red spears guys. right so the Levites, I like to think, never of the red get those guys. guys when you wanted to go and buy the little action figures. No, they were really hard to find. They were yeah. really hard to find. If, you, if you've got one of those at home, boy, they must be worth a mint. Yeah, if you've got one, send it to me. Red I've always wanted to have one. Um, Done. But um, yeah, the, so I, look, I like to see them as the as the red guys. Um, uh, and it's it's kind of interesting that he has this personal um, group of people that go into this. Uh, warfare now mm. it's, i don't think warfare is a very now we we look at that like they're um soldiers um but i think if we strip away the combat element of that and retain the the kind of orchestra of who's doing what and the um the construction of service and and the the military precision that makes more sense to me and also you have to ask the question why cora we get four groups of um, Cohen mentioned in this passage, mm-hmm. um, and it's Cora because it was family. I mean, it's family, it's like mafia. I can't make really bad analogies so far. The dark yeah. side of the force and um, and mafia, but it, well, it was it was it's, it's the family link, and I think um, mm-hmm. that's why Cora's punished so badly later on. Spoilers, um, but uh, it's it's worth mentioning. Um, that's in the text because I think when you read service, sometimes service, especially in a religious sense, seems a bit kind of weak and and mm. and namby pamby. Um, yeah, well, I'm I'm kind of was, I'm infatuated with that now mm. because it says okay, from thirty years old and above, even to fifty years old, all who enter the as you say the the warfare to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Can you elaborate on that, Javier? Well, actually, Jason hit a a very important um, a very important point, and that's why. Uh, we still keep him, and we love him. Uh, it's actually, once again, he said something quite brilliant. I don't know how, but yep. he did it. Anyway, I'm kidding. As it turns out, the word tzva really does mean an army, even in 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 uh, even in, in modern Hebrew. Uh, the Levites did play a very important role during a time of war, because as it turns out, that when the Jewish people went to war, the Ark of the 
covenant carried by the Levites went in front of the nation and protected mm. them during a time of war. So they participated in the war by the, being the bearers of the Ark of the Covenant, and that would protect the nation of Israel, uh, which now sheds light on a passage in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 3, we are told that at the end of days, there'll be a time when no one's going to talk about the Ark of the Covenant. And you'll find that in verse 16. Mm-hmm. Well, what is Jeremiah talking about? Well, now we understand. In the Messianic age, there will not be war. And as such, no one's going to say, hey, get the Ark of the Covenant to go and uh, fight. So actually, they were a part of the army, but they were a different kind of the army in that they weren't carrying a sword, or in our days, an M16, but they were mm-hmm. carrying the Ark of the Covenant. That was a, They did play that integral role during a time of Milchama, during a time of war. At the end of days, there won't be war, there won't be a necessity for them to carry out this function as part of the of the uh, as part of the army. Okay, but but okay. Now it says in, and you did mention this, verse uh, fifteen. They shall come to carry them, but they shall not touch any holy thing, lest they die. That's reiterated uh, right at the end of our Torah portion as well. It says, uh, well, actually, let me read from seventeen. It says uh, the Lord spoke to Aaron and Moses, saying, "Do not cut off the tribe of the families of the is it Korati? Yes." Okay, from among the Levites, but uh, do this in regard to them, that they may live and not die when they uh, when they approach the most holy things. Aaron and his son shall go in and appoint each of them to his service and to his task, but they shall not go in to watch while the holy things are being covered, lest they die. Right, they can't look at it when it seems they touch it. You have to remember that the Ark of the Covenant wasn't physically picked up, but there were poles that went poles. through it. So they had to understand the laws of how to insert the poles, how to carry it, how not to look, to gaze upon it, lest they would, as it says in verse, al-tachrisu, so they should not be cut off, so they should not be killed. So they knew exactly how to carry these um, these things. Fifteen-year-olds uh, were not allowed to uh, engage in this kind of practice. It was only people who were at the peak of their physical and intellectual requisite that were able to carry out these laws. And that's right at the end of our Torah portion. And so before we – I know we've jumped all over the place. Jason, is there anything else that you want to highlight before we close off? Uh, t- two things are both related. First of all, um, when, we, when we do get to the very end and it says these things are being covered – when I mm-hmm. when I when I break down the words there, um, the, the it's actually more about it being divided. So I think this is about when everything's being rather than just kind of throwing a, a cover over a box and moving it. I think it's more about everything being dismantled and given its place. And yeah, covered, but it's more about um, it's more about the the walls coming down and everything being put into its packaging and and you know it's like you're moving house, but you don't have a house. The whole house is mm-hmm. going. And I think that's what it's referring to there. And uh, I just want to know the personal note. I've, for the last few weeks, I've been um, volunteering um, at a Jewish museum here in Ireland. If you're yeah. if you're visiting Ireland and you're interested in the Jewish history, come and say hello. It's a really cool place. Um, but I get a I get a kind of um, an idea of how this works. I mean, I'm a I'm a noob in this place, but I get access to things which visitors don't get access to. 
Um, but there is there are some things which I don't have access to because I haven't been there long enough. I don't know how to treat some of the older documents. You know, what should right. I wear? What environment should I? Um, what environment should I open them in? Can I like do I take them out and open them on the floor? Should it be in the office? Should it be? Um, you know, there's various different gloves. You have to put on the special gloves. Right, yeah, 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 for different things, right? And I don't know that. I haven't been trained in that. That's not my thing. But I do get sometimes to open up the cabinets and to have a look at these um, artifacts that have been, you know, 200, 300 years old. Mm. And I kind of, I kind of get that there's a different, there's a different role for different people and different, uh, different accountability, uh, right? Different accountability. Yeah. yeah. So you know, if I mess up because I touch something I shouldn't have, I'll mess up big time. But if mm. I mess up touching something I'm allowed to touch, the punishment isn't so bad. You know, I, I, um, not that I'm going to get flogged. Um, but, you know, I haven't overstepped my boundary. I've just made a right. simple mistake. And that, that's two different things. It's, so uh, I just thought that was a personal, um, a personal reflection on the text that I could see in, you know, my normal life. Was there anything else, Toby, that you wanted to Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's very clear that the Torah wants to, God does not want the children of Israel to battle among themselves. You know, Lahabdal, we see it with other religions that they fight over different of their holy objects and who's in charge of what. And uh, they have uh, the church of the whatever in Jerusalem. They, the different Christian denominations, the priests fight with each other and kill each other. Over oh, who the gets church over, of the Holy uh, Sepulchre. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happens is actually the, the Israeli police are frequently called in to break up fistfights between mm. the... And they have a Muslim uh, uh, key. Don't ask, uh, don't ask what's going on. But they've been yeah, yeah. killing each other because they want to open doors and close doors and so on. Yeah, yeah. So well, they want the iron who are, and sometimes an Ethiopian priest or a Coptic guy stays too long and he gets his head smashed in. The Torah is its obvious that if the Torah had not assigned specific tribes where you're going to stand next to which other tribe, you sit to north, to south, to east, mm. and west, if it wasn't identified which family specifically got to carry the ark, which ones carry the oil, um, it, it would have created an enormous amount of problems or people would have fought over these honors. Who gets to do it? But you know what? Today, you know, if you go into a synagogue, no one, it is a big honor to receive, to be called up to the Torah to make the first blessing when they begin to read the portion. But no one argues because we know that the first blessing is assigned to the Kohen, to the priest, no matter what. You could stand on your head, but that we know that there are certain, um, uh, uh, certain jobs, certain tests, sacred tests that are given and the Torah says look only this family only this group could carry out this test this of this as we see will will ensure that later on in the Bible this is not going to be a problem which means that it was so patently obvious of who was assigned what job that in fact they didn't fight with each other the children of course had their own uh, job their own role we'll even see in Ezekiel in the end of the book of Ezekiel that there were certain priestly families that were given um, mm. that were given special rights because of they were faithful to Solomon and so on the Torah wants to make sure that mistakes don't happen because people are overzealous and they want the honor 
No, no, no. Each family is given. This one carries the oil, this one carries this, and therefore there should be no inner fighting amongst them who gets which honor, which carries what. And it worked out perfectly. Beautiful. That is Bar Midbar, the first portion of the book of numbers, Mushy of SpiritualBabies.net. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> and Rabbi Toby the Singer of uh, OutreachJudaism.org. OutreachJudaism.org, where you can get a copy of Let's Get Biblical. Why doesn't Judaism accept the Christian Messiah? Volumes one and two. I highly recommend it. Until next week, uh, when we get into Nassau, be blessed and be set apart by the truth of our Father's word. Shalom. Oh man, I hope people don't start calling me Meshi. <laughs> <laughs>